Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, good afternoon, and welcome back. Welcome back to the Porsche Cooled Podcast, the podcast where we chat about, talk about all things Porsche. My name is Michael Barth. Uh, this is the Owner's Stories episode. It's Tuesday. It's the episode that you guys really love listening to. I've had lots of great feedback about this series. So we're up to uh, we're up to number, what is it? Number 33. Number 33 today. Uh, I'm going to have James with me very, very shortly. I'm just going to uh, connect to Zoom. These uh, owner stories are always done through Zoom um, purely because I'm in London and James is in the US and most of my guests are from, you know, the US, from the UK, uh, Australia, from Norway, uh, Europe. We've got lots of, uh, we've got a great variety of owners um, uh, sharing their story on Porsche Cool, which is fantastic. Anyway, uh, I've got five minutes. I'm going to connect to Zoom. I'm going to get James on the line. James is coming in from the US. I'll say it, and I know I always say this at most of the episodes, but this one, I, I don't know a lot about James's story. He's got a 911 uh, generation that I really love and that I also own myself. Not the point two, but the point one. You would have seen uh, what James owns in the title. So let me get James and let's start talking about his Porsche Cooled owner's story. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Uh, welcome back to Owner's Stories. Uh, like I said, today I've got uh, James coming in, and James is here with me now. Uh, good morning to you, James. How are you? Good morning, Michael. I'm well. Thank you. So just remind me again, James, you're in, you're in the US, but whereabouts are you located? You're in California? Yeah, I'm in California uh, in the foothills up above uh, Sacramento. So considered Northern California, but about in the middle of the state. And um, for geographic reference, we're um, on, the, on the road headed up to Tahoe. So about an hour and a half to Tahoe to the east and an hour and a half to San Francisco to the west. Okay. So we'll have to get into that later in the podcast when we talk about great driving roads because it sounds like you've got some, uh, some great ones at your doorstep. They're fantastic. You can literally leave here in any direction and find fun, windy roads. Uh, it, I couldn't ask for anything better. So F- Fantastic, fantastic. As I said to you before the recording, we always like to start this podcast with where it all started. You know, it's about Porsche cooled owner stories, about the owner stories, about your Porsche journey, your Porsche journey. Um, so when did you first start? When did you first start noticing Porsche? Um, was it was there something when you were a kid that you you had a neighbor that had a car, a Porsche, or a 911, or you had a relative, or was it something later in life that you decided, hey, I'm, I, I want to get one of those. They're, they're a really cool looking car. Yeah, sure. So um, my my biological father separated from my mother when I was about one year old, and uh, my bio dad is a motorcycle racer. So maybe we can get into that a little bit later. Uh, okay, but. Um, uh, so when they separated, she started dating a guy when I was, oh, around about four, three or four years old. And this gentleman had a, uh, a Porsche, a, I believe it was a 1981 uh, 911 SC. And they dated for about two years. So that was my first exposure to, uh, to a Porsche. So did you, do you have any memories of being in that car or you just have memories of seeing it? No, I do. Uh, it was a, it was a red um uh, like I said, red early '80s model. I remember riding around in it. Um, I was young at the time, um, and uh, but I do have some distinct memories of that. And then a few years later, my aunt married a gentleman, uh, and this was down in kind of central or Southern California. Married a gentleman who had a um, wasn't a daily driver, but he had a let's see, I believe it was a 1988 or '89 uh, 930 slant nose. 
Okay. Um, beautiful nice. car, uh, yeah. white one. And uh, I have a lot of memories of uh, seeing that always out in the garage and going on rides with him and really appreciating it. So, which I know now the, the values on those are, are taking off like crazy. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Okay. So you, you have that childhood memory. You, you know, we all get to the point where we want to buy our first car. Or we want to buy our first special car. What was the car along the way to sure. the to the to the nine eleven ownership to the Porsche ownership? What was a car that's a memorable one that you've owned uh, over the years? So I did the straight from uh, high school to college or university, as you would say, to uh, law school to work, and so uh, basically went straight through. And you know, was busy as a, a young working attorney. Had a few fun cars over the years. Um, had a few different uh, Infiniti G35s and some like sports sedans, but never really what you'd qualify, I think, as a sports car. Um, always knew at some point I wanted some variant of a 911. And so um, started looking um, a couple of years ago and really went back and forth um, on did I want something more modern or did I want something, you know, air cooled. And um, I, I was pulled in both directions, but uh, my wife, unfortunately, is not a uh, not proficient with a, a manual transmission, which I would very much prefer. So, okay, okay. Um, I knew that if I wanted, if I was going to get something with a version of an automatic uh, uh, gearbox, that I would uh, need to go something modern because I I was much I I, I was able to drive something that had. Um, uh, some of the older uh, versions of Tiptronics, and I knew that um, I wanted a PDK if I was going to have to go the automatic route. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, there's been a few owners on the on the podcast actually have had said a similar thing, and in that, in that their wife doesn't drive manual. They want, you know, they bought a Tiptronic for this reason. You know, there's quite a few people have been on and PDK for that reason. So. It's about, you know, it's about lifestyle. It's about, you know, making sure you've got the right car, not just for yourself, but also for your family as well, which is always sure. a priority. Um, so when you started looking two years ago, and I know that you only you only purchased your car, your 911 in beginning of this year, correct? Yeah, so it's only about uh, middle of February, so two and a half months ago. So it's all, all very new still. Okay, so tell the listeners, you know, because everyone thinks that I take a long time to make up my mind in buying a 912 or, or buying my second Porsche. What is it? What what took so long? Why was it two years before you decided on the car that you have now? Was there any reason, or was it just that you just didn't find the right one? I guess it was a couple of things. Um, first, I think that I, I did keep vacillating back and forth between wanting in a you know an air cooled model, and I was really drawn to those. Um, but as much as I wanted it, I knew how practical it wouldn't be because I really, uh, you know, I've been married, uh, 18 years, um, really, you know, wanted to consider something that would be fun for my wife too. And when, when we were considering it as a vehicle, um, it wasn't going to, uh, it wasn't going to be a daily driver. It was going to be a right. third vehicle, something to, to have fun with on the weekends. And so, um, I think that that factored into it. Uh, I finally kind of reached the consensus that it, it really, uh, to check most of the boxes, needed to be a, a, a somewhat uh, modern uh, version. Um, and yeah, what was up? So during the period then, during the period when you're looking for the for the 911, for the one that you wanted, you said yeah. you started thinking about air cool. Air cool. Did you find any air cool during that period? Did you go and look at anything, or did you were you tempted by anything, or you? I did. I was, I was definitely attracted to first the uh, kind of the earlier uh, 70s to uh, mid 70s air cooled and then really got into a phase for a while where I thought I wanted a, uh, 
an early 80s SC. And there were some of those that were available. Yep. Um, you know, I was doing a lot of searching on, um, you know, both on, on peak car market and on bring a trailer. And the market on those hadn't really taken off like some of the other air cooled. So they seemed attainable. Um, and yeah, in terms of looking at, you know, going to local shows, uh, but looking at a lot of them online. So, right, right. Yeah. Okay, so let's 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 jump forward. Let's jump forward to the to the car that you found, um, yeah. and the listeners will know what it is because it's in the title of this podcast. So you found the nine nine seven, but just tell the listeners what you found, uh, where you found it, and and how was it? What was it about this car? How was it optioned, uh, etc.? Sure. So I was probably actively looking for about four to six months, which I had narrowed down to uh, 997. Um, for, I was pretty well um, narrowed down to wanting it to be a, a, dot, a dot two variant. And I was really looking all over the United States um, and uh, finding cars popping up everywhere. I was starting to notice the market really starting to rise. And so yes. I think what, what really... <laughs> You know, accelerated my timeline is thinking, gosh, if I don't do this soon, if things keep trending the way they are, maybe yeah. I'm going to be priced out of uh, what I was looking for. And so I think that that did accelerate the timeline a bit. Um, I looked at some and I was willing to do a fly and drive from essentially anywhere in the United States. I looked at it as a fun adventure. Um, and part of that is I have two children that are uh, a girl eight about to turn nine and a boy 12. And he's in that phase right now of a, you know, a preteen who just thinks, breathes, sleeps everything about cars. And so, you know, from watching YouTube videos to video games to everything that he does. And so I think he's really immersed in that car culture. And yep. um, it's one of the things we like to do together to go to the local cars and coffee and to um, and, uh, other events around here. And we found ourselves going, but not able to really, you know, have anything to take to there. So yep. part of that was wanting to be able to share that experience with him. So I kind of got to the realization of, I should do this sooner than later. I mean, I can't think of anything cooler as a 12-year-old that your father is owning a 911. You know what I mean? Like you think back when you were 12 and you think, man, that would have been, that would have been the, the coolest thing. So it's a great, great experience for him and a great memory he's going to have uh, forever. That's for sure. So this car, so you, you, know, you told me in your message to me, you said you drove this car a long distance back home. So where did you find, where did you find the 997? Uh, sure. it, was, it wasn't local, was it? It was, it was a bit further away. Yeah. Um, so I was looking at one in um, uh, back in uh, Wisconsin. I was looking at one in Georgia. I was sort of looking at a few and I and one came up um, for sales through a dealer that sells a lot of um, kind of specialty vehicles up in Portland, Oregon. So roughly 10 hours north of, uh, of here um, and got into some some negotiations with them and pretty quickly uh, arrived at a deal. Um, I like the idea that it had um, a, a solid um, maintenance history. Um, I didn't have a pre-purchase inspection done because, it, which I had planned on doing with any other vehicle. Okay. Um, but this was a Southern California vehicle. Um, it had been regularly serviced um, and documented at the local Porsche dealer. And so that gave me a level of comfort to... Um, not do my due diligence as I normally would have and have a PPI done. So. so the person selling the car was a specialist, like luxury car dealer, Porsche car dealer. It wasn't a Porsche dealer at such. Though. Yeah, it wasn't a Porsche dealer. It was basically a, um, a luxury dealer there in uh, Portland that sold, you know, they had a, 
essentially a warehouse um, housed with all sorts of things from Ferraris to Bentleys to um, uh, interesting four by fours. And so, and a few Porsches as well. Um, so I, yeah, I connected with them and I, uh, I liked the idea that it was a, a Southern California history that it hadn't been somewhere salty. And um, frankly, it was down to two 997.2s, both white, both similarly spec, both checking a lot of the boxes that I wanted as far as having sport chrono as far as having um you know, various options and really the idea of driving the coast back from portland uh 10 hours sounded a lot more appealing than driving through the midwest 40 hours from wisconsin <laughs> so 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 tell the listeners you've got a 997.2 what were the what were the key yes. options that the car came with that were were the deal breaker for you that you actually were quite happy with sure so it had to have pdk uh, it had, I wanted something with the, uh, with the sport chrono. I yes. wanted, um, it wasn't a deal breaker, but I wanted an S model. Um, if, you know, and figured if I was willing to, you know, go far enough to do a fly and drive, that that was something I shouldn't compromise on. Um, beyond that, um, I was open to color. Uh, you know, I would have preferred something maybe, uh, in the, one of the blue or gray variants, but I ended up going, uh, going with one that was white, which was, you know, uh, somewhere down in the second tier of color choices. But yep. um, uh, I'd say those were probably the most important factors to me. So. Yeah, and I think, you know what, the white, there's something about the 997.2, the detailing on the 997.2, the, you know, the upgraded lights on the back and the shape, it actually mm -hmm. does look really good in white. You know what I mean? I've always thought it's a it's a really attractive car in white. That's why I think the GTS in the, in the 997 always looks good in white as well. It sort of suits the shape. Um, sure. Um, you know I'm a fan of the 997 because I own a point one. I don't own a point sure. two. Uh, I think the point two, a 997.2 Carrera S is, you know, anyone listening, if, if, if you're thinking about it, exactly what you said, don't leave it too late because the prices are rising. It's going to be a really sought-after car, whether it's in PDK or manual. It's a great, great car. Um, you don't have any issues with IMS hanging over your head or worrying about those sort of things nor do you have the bore scoring issue like you do with the 997.1 either because of the fuel injection. So you, you've bought this car, you don't do a PPI, you know I'm, big, I'm a big fan of doing PPIs on cars, but I, I kind of make sense, you know, you, you, it's got a good service history, it's got a good maintenance history, uh, you're putting trust in, in the dealer, so to speak. So when you pick it up, you, you decide to do the deal, um, how do you get it back home? Yeah, good question. Um, so... <clears throat> I could have arranged for shipping, um, but to me, I didn't want to pass up the chance for an adventure. And I, you know, I've been involving my 12 year old son in a lot of the um, uh, research on the various cars and running them by him and really getting some of his feedback. And so when we, when we found this one available, uh, you know, the idea of being able to do a fly and drive and, and deliver it home, I thought would just be something special. And so um, I arranged that through the dealership to, uh, to be able to, to fly into Portland, which is an easy one hour flight from where we are uh, here outside of Sacramento. Um, and I thought, you know, that's located roughly an hour and a half from the coast. And I've been able to drive. I also ride motorcycles. And so okay. I've been able to ride motorcycles and drive cars along the northern California coast, uh, Pacific Coast Highway, Highway 1, you know, goes by a number of different uh, terms, which, yeah. you know, you get people drive, coming from all over the world just to drive on those roads because they really are special. So yeah. I'd done the northern California sections and a little bit up into Oregon, but I thought the idea of being able to um, sample some of the Oregon coastline and do the PCH uh, for most of that stretch just sounded like a lot of fun. I mean, 
riding motorcycles, you get to know all the great roads as well. So that always helps, doesn't it? So Very driving back, what's, what's this story that when you drove back through the snow? Tell me about the snowstorm and how you yeah. got the car back. Was it, was, it, uh, was it a bit hairy in the 997 being a rear-wheel drive? It was. Um, so Portland has a climate there where they, uh, you know, they get a fair amount of rain, but not a lot of snow. So the city is not equipped uh, with very many snow plows. And essentially, they only get a big snow every four or five years. But when they do, it essentially shuts the city down. Businesses close, people stay home. Um, and so, um, you know, they it ended up with the timing of, I didn't want to miss out on this car and I had, you know, I had closed the deal on it. So I was set to fly up there on a Friday. Uh, I was going to fly one way with my son to be able to pick it up and drive it back. And, um, it, it ha just, uh, turned out that this was in the middle of what they called this Portland snowpocalypse, I guess, 2021, <laughs> where they, they got, you know, 10 or 12 inches, I think it was in a very short time period. And so I was talking back and forth with the, uh, the rep there at the dealer. And, you know, he was essentially telling me, hey, it's your car. You can come pick it up whenever you want. But are you sure you want to do this uh, in the middle of a snowstorm? And I have a lot of experience driving in snow, being near Lake Tahoe here. Can't say I've ever done it in a sports car or a Porsche. Uh, but um, I had a narrow window of time because I do have a lot of busy things here going on at the office. And I, I knew that if I couldn't go up then, it could be weeks or, you know, potentially months till we could get up there. Right. So right. Uh, we were determined uh, to go up and make it work in the snow. So I ended up pushing the flight from Friday morning to Saturday morning. Uh, when it looked like the weather would have improved a little bit, was able to take the flight, uh, get off uh, get up there, got a friend to pick me up at the airport and drive me over uh, to this warehouse where they had this probably 100 or so cars housed, which was a real treat as a 12-year-old boy to be able to walk up and down the rows of, you know, Bentleys and Ferraris <laughs> in a large yeah. airport hangar yeah. in an industrial yeah. section. So. Um, so that was a neat experience. And uh, essentially, we, you know, there was definitely snow on the ground. I've got pictures and videos of us posing out by the car uh, with, with definite snow covering the parking lot. Um, but we were able to uh, make our way outside of Portland. And my plan was it only looked like there was significant snow right around the city. And that once you got out of that, uh, the snow basically uh, levels all went away. So I figured if we could get over to the coast, the rest of the trip would be fine. And, and that's how it proved. I went and got some of those uh, snow socks, which are I've never used before, but essentially that goes around like a chain, but hopefully doesn't scrape up things. And oh, okay. they, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I haven't heard about those. What are they? They're a snow sock. Yeah. So someone recommended to me, I have experience, you know, driving four wheel drives and chains and such, but someone has suggested that just to make sure you can get out of town, um, it's almost like you would find a wheel cover on the back of a Jeep or something. Um, oh, okay. Basically something that would fit around uh, a cover, like on a tire. Well, they're those, and uh, they go around the four tires, and instead of having the chains that can flap up and scratch and, and cause damage, they're a safe way of doing that that can allow you to get some traction. So I ended up picking up a set of those at a local tire shop. Fortunately, never ended up needing to use them. And essentially, when we got 10 minutes out of Portland, we had to drive very slow with almost no one on the road until um, we could just get out of the city. But once we were out of the city, the roads improved dramatically, no more snow. And essentially, we were able to safely uh, make the rest of the trip. Okay. So how is that feeling? You've got your first 911. You've got your first Porsche. You're on the open yeah. roads. You're on safe roads. You're on nice driving roads. Yeah. How is the feeling? You know, I'd say it was surreal. I mean, it was it was definitely a special experience to be there with my son. And 
you know, when you have all this drama leading up to um, years of searching for a car and, you know, four or six months of searching pretty seriously, um, to actually be in one and have it be yours, I think was certainly a, a special feeling. Um, we, uh, we had a blast. The road trip was just fantastic. We cut the hour and a half over to the coast. We're able to drive all of the California, or sorry, Oregon coast down to California. And what would have been a nine or 10 hour trip straight down a interstate, you know, we turned into what was probably a 16 hour trip on beautiful, windy, rugged coastline roads where you're just overlooking the Pacific yeah. Ocean. Fantastic, so. fantastic roads to appreciate the 911. That's for sure. Those sort of Indeed. roads there. I mean, there's roads like that in Australia that I've driven on as well, and they're just fantastic. So you've got yeah. you've got the 911, you've got the 997.2, the Carrera S uh, in white, well optioned. It's got PDK. You get it back home. You've, you've done this road trip. Is there anything that comes that 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 happens? Is there anything that you notice with the car that wasn't exactly how you expected it? Was there anything wrong with the car? Was there anything you needed to to fix straight away, or was it all okay? Yeah, good question. So I um, I sort of did it backwards here, and rather than having the pre-purchase inspection, I did a post-purchase inspection. Okay. So I was referred to a local um, European independent uh, shop here that, that deals with a number of Porsches uh, by a couple of friends, and uh, I, I took it in the very, I think, next day once I got home for an inspection, and they did... Um, yeah, essentially what was a three plus hour uh, inspection of a lot of the components. And fortunately, um, everything came back glowing in terms of uh, all the brake components uh, being recently um, uh, serviced and, and changed. Um, all of the fluids all in excellent condition. Um, everything from the tires to the motor to, you know, they went through it and documented everything and gave me a, a report with pictures and everything. And um uh, it, they basically said, Hey, you got a fantastic car that's in great condition. And I was very, uh, I was relieved at that point because I had been somewhat nervous about it. Yeah. Um, so and, ha had it recently had a major service then, James, had it recently been serviced? Is that why everything was up to, up to scratch? Yes. I think some had been done through the dealership there, but the, um, through some of the Carfax reports that I got there, there was steady service over time, including some recent work that had been done. Um, so, you know, another, you know, I, I think issue that ties in with that is I, you know, I looked at some lower mileage uh, variants that were out there. I knew that I wanted something that was not a garage queen. I wanted to drive it. I wanted, you know, something to have fun with that I wasn't yeah. going to be afraid to drive with some regularity. And so to me, um, uh, I was okay looking at something with higher mileage if it, uh, you know, had the appropriate service history. I feel a little better about a car that's been driven rather than has sat over time. And so this had uh, right at 80,000 miles, you know, over the 10 or 11 year life of the car. And um, I was okay with that. And so, you know, it's not in perfect condition, but in general, uh, you know, for a 10 year old vehicle with that kind of mileage, the interior and exterior were excellent. You know, it doesn't have, you know, show condition paint or anything, but it was great for my purposes. So when you say it doesn't have show condition paint, it has the, the usual chips on the front, a few stone chips and things like that, or is it something more, yeah, more serious? Very minor, not anything significant, but yeah, uh, little parts here and there. Um, and, you know, there are some wear items inside, you know, for instance, on the interior with the door handle and with the, um, uh, you know, a couple of minor parts on the seat, which, you know, were very minor to me, but to someone that wanted a... Um, you know, 
excellent condition car might be an issue. Yeah, and we always think you know eighty thousand miles is a lot of miles, but really for a car that's uh, ten years old, it's not it's not that much, really, is it? It really isn't that much. Um, Agreed. And you know nine nine sevens, nine elevens in general, they need to be driven, like you said, and and high mileage ones sometimes are you know could be even possibly better than the low mileage ones. I mean, my car's a low mileage car, and you know it does worry mm-hmm. me every now and again, especially being a point one, which is more susceptible to the IMS if it's a lower mileage. But you know. Um, all right, so you've got the car. Did it have, I didn't ask you this, did it have a uh, Porsche uh, sports exhaust, PSE option, or it had no exhaust option? Uh, it had no exhaust. So it, um, it was well optioned in some senses, but yeah, it did not have PSE, did not have any kind of aftermarket exhaust on it. And so, you know, in looking over, the, it, it, was, it was basically, uh, you know, fully stock. Um, it... <laughs> In looking at this particular vehicle, I knew that there was very little that I was going to want to do to it. I figured I probably would want to make some exhaust modifications, but um, I didn't plan on doing anything else as far as uh, swapping out wheels or um, any other major exterior mods. So. Yeah, I like the wheels on your your car, actually. They're the standard wheels, are they, or were they an option wheel? I forget what they're called. I've, had, I've got your Instagram up here. But... I think they come standard on the S model. They're the 19-inch um i forget what they call them um but yes they are a um an oem product so. yeah it's a nice wheel it's a nice wheel so with the exhaust are you plan so are you pl- so you're not planning to do any mods to the car you're not planning to change anything you're not planning to upgrade the sound in any way um well uh, <laughs> only, with, <laughs> yes, only with regard to the exhaust so i um I about two weeks ago, after doing some research and enjoying the car for a couple of months, um, I knew that I wanted to yeah to do something uh, to uh, yeah just to get a little more sound out of it. Um, you know, striking that balance of still having uh, the kind of a sport kind of European sound to it, not anything that was going to um, you know take it into a Fast and the Furious type uh, yeah. um, uh, sound, but. Um, so I did some research on that. I ended up settling on after talking with a local shop here that, that does a lot of um, uh, exhaust modifications on on P cars. Um, I ended up having a, a suggestion to uh, do a fab speed uh, center muffler delete um, right. and then uh, combine that with what is effectively like a fister hack uh, where they modify the two uh, side mufflers. So. OK. And have you you haven't done this yet? I have. I did it about two weeks ago. Oh, you did it two weeks ago. And yes. Okay. So what is what is the end result? Are you happy with it? I am. And it's one of those things that you never know what it's going to sound like until you hear it in person. And so yeah. to me, I think it achieved the objective. You know, if you ask my 12-year-old son, uh, you might want a much uh, a louder system on there. But I think it, like I say, I think it strikes a nice tasteful balance. And from a lot of the research I had done on a lot of the forums, that the combination of that um, center delete with the with the side muffler modification um, gives a nice nice balanced sound to where you notice it um, under some wide open throttle, but not it's not um, overly loud or annoying at um, low rev speeds. Yeah, I know when I was looking at uh, doing the exhaust on my 997.1, uh, it kept coming up about the Sharkworks, uh, the Sharkworks X-Pipe or the Sharkworks um, with the Fister. Um, you can only do that with the 997.2. You can't do it with the 997.1. So I guess it's, it's, a, similar, it's a similar option that you've gone for, isn't it? Because the fab speed, uh, the fab speed with the Gundo sort of Fister type hack. 
um, yes. which seems to be what a lot of people go for. Is there any, the noise inside the cabin, there's no droning though, is there with the, with the delete? There's no droning and really you don't notice it unless at low revs with the windows down or when you start to get above, you know, 2,500 or 3,000 RPM with the windows up. So, uh, uh, meaning, you, you know, you, you really hear the exhaust, but yeah, you don't, you don't, I don't get droning at any yeah, RPM. yeah. And that's the best thing about these mods, isn't it? I mean, with Fister as well, with mine, as soon as you get on that twisty road, as soon as you get on that mountain road and you, uh, you, you drive the car for the first time, you really do notice the sound has changed. Agreed. Yeah, you definitely notice it out on the back roads. Yeah. All right. So you've done the you've done the exhaust mod, um, which sounds great. So there's nothing yeah. there's nothing else you want to change with the car. There's nothing you, you need to upgrade. There's nothing you need to 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 change. You're happy with it exactly how it is. I am. Yeah. It has the. Um, I do like to listen to music, and you know, it has the uh, factory radio in there from that uh, generation. Um, I. <sighs> You know that that generation allows, and I'm not sure about the dot the dot one uh, variant, but it allows you to use Bluetooth for um, calls, which is nice. It was prior to when they had uh, Bluetooth be very usable for music, and so you can't stream music over the radio. But there's some easy fixes to that. You know, for twelve or fifteen dollars, you get a cable, an auxiliary cable that allows you to um, connect up a phone and play music through the speakers, and so. Um, I considered some ideas about, um, you know, replacing the radio and going to something that maybe had Apple CarPlay, but uh, this has been a, a fine fix for my purposes. And what about the PDK? Are you happy with the PDK? Is it is it delivering how you expected? Is it is it a great transmission? It is. It just smoothed through the shifts. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, uh, 10 times out of 10, I would prefer to have a manual gearbox. But if I'm going to have an automatic gearbox, uh, I really am impressed with the PDK. And, you know, that's one thing I would say probably a week before I ended up getting this car. Um, I went and drove locally. They had a beautiful, like, grayish blue Dot one uh, uh, 4S that came uh, up. And I went and drove that thinking, you know what, it just, it checks all the boxes. Maybe I can get over the PDK and, and go with the Tiptronic. And for me, at least, um, the car was beautiful, but after test driving it, you know, around the block for a bit, I knew then and there that uh, I wanted to hold out for something with the PDK. And not to say that the Tiptronic isn't a fine transmission for some people, but for yep. me, that decision was clear. Well, the PDK is just Porsche doing what they do best, isn't it? Everything gets better. Everything becomes better over time, and they just always fine tuning and making everything you know as perfect as it can be. Was this the reason why, James, that you wanted to have the Chrono Pack because you do have the PDK? Because isn't there some extra? I don't, I don't know a lot about PDK and the Chrono, but isn't there some extra functionality because of the Chrono Pack with the PDK, or not? Um, yeah. So I'm trying to think in terms of the differences there. Um, you know, I did want the uh, the 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 PASM uh, option uh, uh, with the suspension. Yes. Um, I did want, uh, you know, I think the, the, sport, the chrono, in addition to giving you just the physical chrono on the dash, um, I think gives you some other options for launch control in that generation, which I haven't played around with yet or, uh, or, or tested out, but um, I understand that generally comes with it. Um, and gosh, there were some other, I know when I was doing the research, there were some other reasons uh, to want that. But yeah, I mean, essentially it was something that I planned on taking on twisty back rows. And although I haven't gotten to a track yet, do plan on doing some track days. And so um, 
basically wanted something that in a stock configuration was was uh, well equipped to do that, which is also what uh, motivated me to get the, the S model that had some of the, um, as I understand, brake upgrades that set it up well for yes, the time. Yes, yes. So you, you, track days always interest me. Have you done track? I mean, you mentioned the thing about the motorcycle. Uh, you drive motorci- ride motorcycles and you've got history uh, of motorcycles in your family. Is this yes. the reason why you're, you're, you're drawn to the track because of the motorcycle side of it? Or you just want to see how the Porsche feels on the track? I'd say a little bit of both. Um, yeah, my father was a uh, dirt track uh, speedway motorcycle racer. Back, okay. uh, he was a, a three-time U.S. champ back in the early, sorry, late '60s, early '70s. And now, speedway that the dirt track doesn't have the same type of uh, following. It's more guys doing it out of the back of their van on a local track. But back then, I think as I, I had it described, it was more of like an X Games feel to it of you know a big following. And um, I've never. Uh, well, I haven't seen any of it over in England, but I understand that there's still a decent following over uh, in your area. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. You- yeah, I'm not sure. Not sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think there's some of that background. And then um, also just, um, yeah, I've had a couple of experiences at the track, a couple of um, kind of schools and trainings that I've gone to there. And so, you know, I, while I didn't figure that we'd be out at the track every weekend, I at least wanted the, you know, the option or ability to do that. So. That sounds great. That sounds great. So are there good tracks around near where you live? Are there, are there good tracks to take the Porsche to? Or are you a member of the Porsche Club as well in your region? I am. Uh, I am a, a member of the local uh, PCA. They have a very active uh, group in the Sacramento area. So I've, I've uh, gone to a couple of their uh, meetups and events. Some of that is just getting started again after COVID, after mostly being canceled for last year. Um, but they do have a great track, uh, Thunder Hill, uh, which okay. is just about an hour and a half north of us here. Um, so basically running track days every day of the week there, um, fun, uh, a fun track. And then if you go over to the Bay Area, there's, there's uh, some fun spots there as well as a, a large number of them down in Southern California. Yeah, I was speaking to someone uh, earlier this week for a, a future owner's stories as well, and he mm-hmm. does track days in his GT3. And he said, apart from, you know, I was always wondering about when you do a track day in your Porsche, how is it going to go with the maintenance? How is it going to go with future value? Is it going to be something that's going to be a concern to you? Um, Obviously, the big cost of track days appears to be tires. As long as you don't crash, it's tires is the Mm -hmm. biggest cost. But are you worried about when you do a track day of the future value of your car, that 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 the next owner, if you sell it on, is going to be a little bit hesitant to buy the car because it's had done track days? I suppose there's, you know, it's something that's crossed my mind, but... I, I anticipated when I got this car that, you know, I didn't do it as an investment. I did it as something, uh, you know, for fun and like I say, for an ex for a third vehicle. Um, and so I fully expected to keep this pretty long term. And so, yeah, I'm probably less concerned uh, with some of those, um, thing, you know, items that might deteriorate the value where I'm, I'm more looking at the kind of the use and fun of it over time. So, yeah, it's a balance, isn't it? I mean, you have to, it really is a balance. You've got to experience it. And, and the, the gentleman that I talked to, Bob, who's, uh, you know, owner stories after yours, actually, um, oh. he daily drives his GT3. He daily drives his GT3 oh, wow. and he daily drives yeah. it in uh, Texas and in Canada in snow and everything. So it's, it's an interesting story as well, similar to how you drove it back in the snow. But, oh, so the next, okay, so you've got the, you've got the PDK. Has your wife driven the car yet? She has, and... <laughs> 
I expected that it was going to be a situation. She does like to drive, we'll say, in a spirited fashion. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what, more spirited, more spirited than you? Well, <laughs> we'll say equally at least. Um, yeah, maybe more. Um, I kind of expected that it was something where we wanted her to have the option to, to drive the car and that she really wouldn't elect to do it that often. Well, what I found was she got behind the wheel early and since then it has been often. So um, she's constantly asking, oh, honey, can I take the Porsche? Or should I, uh, you know, uh, hey, you know, your son wants to go, you know, X, Y, and Z uh, with it. And um, I think, honestly, maybe it's a function of me being busy at work, but I think she's probably driven it more than I have in the first <laughs> couple of months. So, um, yeah, it, it's been interesting. All right. So you've got, you've got the PDK. Everyone, it always happens to all of us. You, you get your first 911, you get your first Porsche. And then you keep looking. You keep looking at other 911s, other Porsches. And you said originally, you know, you were looking for an air-cooled. Is that, is that itch still there? Now you've got the PDK. Is there a, is still a desire to get an, an air-cooled, an SC or, or a 70s air-cooled uh, in a manual? Yeah, so I would say that the itch has been at least temporarily scratched. And so <laughs> uh, with things, uh, you know, new with this, uh, with this 997, um, the focus has uh, shifted at least for a bit, but I, I definitely could see um, having another vehicle, you know, down the line, and, and probably would lean towards something uh, something older and air cooled. Um, probably not anytime in the near future, but yes, the itch is still there at some point. You know, uh, today I w- I'm just going to uh, tell you about something. But today I was looking at collecting cars in the UK. I don't know whether you've been to that site. It's an auction site. I haven't. And it's no. Chris Harris. Chris Harris, if you've heard of Chris Harris, it's his. Sure. he's got something to do with it. And it's called collectingcars.com. It's worthwhile to take a look at it because they've got this huge auction on at the moment, someone's collection, and it's just all Porsches. Um, oh, wow. And it's like 35 or 40 cars or something. But the rarest of cars, some have got no miles on them though. Like you've got 993 RSs with no, no miles at all. Uh, not driven. Oh, wow. There's a GT Carrera GT. There's a 911R. It's a fantastic collection. There's a video on YouTube actually, so it's it's actually worthwhile to check out and to the listeners as well because this will be this episode of the podcast will be out when that video is still up and the auction is still going. Um, tell me about the the roads in your area. Tell me about the favorite roads and the roads that you love to drive the 911 on. Um, and if someone was coming to your region, where should they where should they, they take their sports car? Where should they take the 911? Sure. So, yeah, we're at the base of the foothills here. And like I say, you, you go to San Francisco one way and Tahoe the other. But essentially, if you go north, south or east, you're going to find twisty mountain roads. Um, and so uh, we're right on Highway 49, which is kind of what they uh, you know, term some of the old gold discovery route. Um, so whether taking that to the north or south is really fantastic. Nice sweeping corners, nice uh, you know variation of roads. Um, California, although... You know, I can't say I, uh, some things about the state don't uh, bother me. You really can't, in terms of the diversity of roads and climates and uh, everything else, there's just a little bit of everything. And so, um, you know, I would say if someone was coming out here and wanted to do some can't miss roads, I think you have to do the stretch Highway 1 from just north of San Francisco, say uh, Bodega Bay, up through at least Fort Bragg or a little bit further north of there. It's just an epic um, stretch of coastline. Um, um, both the views and the you know the banking occurring on the roads uh, is just fantastic. And, and and it is. I do come with the perspective that I've ridden for a long time motorcycles, and so that's part of what we would do is get out and try and find the best roads in California. And 
probably a tip that I would have is, um, and I don't know if they have these over here, uh, over in England or not, but in the, in the U.S., we have a company of mo- motorcycle map manufacturers, uh, Butler Maps. And although they're designed for motorcycles, I think a lot of it would be equally applicable for cars. They basically take and make these uh, durable um maps for you know there's one for northern california say and they take and code all of the roads in a, in a large fold-out map that you can uh you know keep in your vehicle and they code them by basically epic next epic and and uh, they have a different color code for them and so just by looking at that and picking hey any of the ones that are coded yellow are just the the you know premier can't miss roads and then right. red is in a category down those are a fantastic resource for finding some of the best uh, curvy back roads in an area, especially in California. So how is it then? Tell me, this is interesting actually, because you, you've ridden motorcycles for a long time. I mean, I had a motorcycle years ago um, sure. and I know the kind of feel of it when you're on a bike, but how does it, how does it compare to driving a 911 with weight balance and things like that? Do you see any similarities in the belt? Because the, you know, the 911 has the engine in the rear and it's the transfer of weight. Do you find there's similarities in the way you drive a 911 to how you drive a motorcycle into the bends and how you look look ahead and how you take corners? Is there any similarities there? Yeah, so I think the cornering uh, is certainly different, different things going through your mind. I would say the, you know, throttle control and how you approach, you know, coming in and out of a corner probably has some similarities. Um, I mean, I think certainly in the general sense, I found that other than, uh, you know, some dirt roads or what we might call goat roads over here with some potholes, yeah. the, the type of curvy back roads that are fun on a motorcycle are the fun, same types of roads that I find are a lot of fun in the 997. Yeah, and I think that's a good tip about the roads and about the motorcycles roads. And it's, it's similar to that uh, in the UK, I'm sure. And it's similar to that, you know, in, in my home country, Australia, those roads that a lot of the motorcyclers always pick as the great roads. And you look on motorcycle forums and talking about are the same roads that the Porsche drivers are driving on the same roads that the Porsche club takes their members on. You know what I mean? Like it's, there is a similarity there because it's, it's those sort of roads that you want those twisty, you know, up and down sort of, you know, long stretches, not so much traffic normally in the country somewhere. So there's not that many police. Uh, so you can really enjoy really enjoy the 911. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and they're, you know, kind of going back to, you know, the roads here in California, there's so many that I could point out that um, along, we're right on the edge of the Sierra Nevada mountain range. And there are there are five passes that go up and over that are just fantastic. One of them is a monitor pass, uh, uh, California 89, that a lot of people liken to maybe going over what a, uh, and I haven't been, but a, a pass in Switzerland would be like where you're up on top uh, with just big windy sweeping corners. That's a fun one. But my personal favorite road just for fun factor in California is uh, there's a highway 120 that comes out of Yosemite National Park, crosses over as it starts leaving California to go towards Nevada. And uh, there's a 46 mile stretch of that road that is, uh, it's a 46 mile roller coaster. It is large whoops that you can take at high speed where you're, you know, getting Fantastic. tires off the ground. Yeah, yeah. There, it's just, I can't recommend that road any better, both to my motorcycle, you know, friends and to people in a car. I tell them if you're going to be out here and you're anywhere near uh, highway 395, don't miss that stretch between 395 and uh, the little town of Benton, California. You have to watch your speed in California though, don't you? There's a lot of police around, right? 
you do, and especially in some of the areas that are near urban areas, you get out a little further, and this is kind of in a rural, less populated area, and you're probably not going to come across any law enforcement out there. So, right. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's plan? So, so nothing else planned for the 9/11. Um, how does it feel though? Ownership. You, you you picked up the car in February, right? How is yes. so the ownership uh, experience so far? Is it what you expected? Um, I would say so. I mean, I was certainly drawn to the you know reliability and reputation of not only Porsche but of that particular model. Um, and so far, you know, in a short time, I would say that's been the case. I've had nothing nothing go wrong to date. Um, you know, to me, it's kind of the fun and the enjoyment phase of it now that all of those times going to different, you know, cars and coffee or, you know, car type meets uh, without something, you know, fun to go, you know, to take to those. Now we're getting to enjoy that. So, for instance, tomorrow morning, we're going to the local one here, just me and my son. And it's been it's been a great father son bonding experience. My daughter's into it a little bit as well, too, but right. not as much. So now it's really, yeah, it's the um, enjoyment phase of it. And I plan on, you know. I guess milking that as long as it lasts. So. Yeah, I mean that's you know that's one thing the Porsche really, it really is such so embedded in the community, isn't it? It's that passion and it's that friendliness and it's that you know that club atmosphere and you know even doing these owner stories with all the guys you know you and everyone else that's reached out to me. It's just like it's such a great community and I think you know for your son as well, it must be a great experience to have that. You know what I mean? That that common bond that people have over a, over a car, you know what I mean? Over the design sure. of a car that's been so iconic for so many years. Um, it must be, you know, it, it's, it's a great thing to experience as an adult and, and as a child. Yeah, it really has been. Um, one of the things too, that we're looking forward to, we're about, I'd say three hours away from uh, Monterey, California, over on the coast. And uh, I don't know, uh, you know, to what extent you, 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 you have much experience with Monterey car week, but essentially the second week in August, every year, uh, it's a 10 day celebration of all things automobiles, um, culminating in the final day, the, um, gosh, what they call it? the, the, the concourse they do out yeah, the at Pebble Beach. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've, so. I've seen videos about it. It looks fantastic. Is that on this year or have they canceled it? Are you going to go to that? Yeah. So, uh, it is on this year from what I've heard. We actually, with my son getting in, so into cars last year, uh, we made plans early in the year before COVID came to go for the first time and go experience Monterey car week. Um, we had to cancel that obviously, cause they, they, they did uh, cancel it. Uh, but we have plans to go back this year. So we're definitely looking forward to that. Going to go spend three or four days down there. Um, actually for the opening weekend on the front end, um, because that, I believe it's the, the first Monday night of that, they do a big um, Porsche uh, meetup, a show, basically for models that are, I think, 10-year-old or earlier or, or more. Um, and I think they typically, in years past, get between 800 to 1,000 Porsches all parked for one meet out yeah. there at the gathering, which to me just sounds like a blast. To, that would to be, be, able to that would be so much all. fun. Yeah, that would be so much fun. I have seen some of the videos on YouTube and that, and I've seen you know the ones with where they've had Jerry Seinfeld and they've been talking to him about his cars at, at Monterey sure. and, and all those and all the other cars that are there as well, all the other manufacturers that show their cars. But the Porsche side of it there is so strong. It'd be, it'd be fantastic. All right. What else, James? Is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners before we before we go? No, not really anything we can add. Um, yeah, I, I, I think we covered and hit it all. So. I mean, I th you know, you know, I'm a fan of the 997. I mean, I have one. It's a great car. In fact, I got a I got a message from uh, Nick, who's been on the owner's stories before. Nick at the Classic Series, who owns a 912 in the UK here, uh, and also a mm -hmm. Land Rover Series 
three, I think, series three or series three, I think. And he started to mm-hmm. look at, he sent me a message today and he's looking at 997s. He's interested in picking up a 997. I think he's looking at point ones. Um, prices in the mm-hmm. UK are still okay. Um, but like you said, prices of 997 in general, especially the point two, because people don't have the IMS over their head. Um, but as long as you do the right checks uh, for a 997.1, you're fine. But the 997 is a great, a great 911. And I think you know, in a few more years' time, it's going to be a really, really... It is still, it is sought after now, but I think in years to come, it's going to be even more sought after. Um, there is something really appealing about it. It's almost like the perfect size. I think it's the perfect size for a 911. It's not too big. It's not too small. Um, the way it drives is fantastic. The balance is fantastic. Um, but you've got a great 911, that's for sure, James. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I certainly agree when it comes to, you know, having that sweet spot of the size before they've gotten bigger, um, the still being naturally aspirated before going to some of the turbos, but still having some of the modern features on it. Um, I, yeah, I mean, my prediction is that um, that sweet that sweet spot there is what's going to make it, I think, I think very popular in years to come. So. Yeah, it's a great driving car. That's great, James. Thank you for, for coming on Owner Stories today. Look, I'm really, and I want to tell the listeners, I want to apologize to James, to all of you guys, because I, I have actually canceled this podcast a couple of times already, I think, haven't I? We were scheduled to do it at another time and, and I never got around to it. So thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. I know it's a work day there in, uh, in your office, so you, you, you've taken the time out to share your story. So thank you for that. Well, thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me on. It's been fun. That's great. Thank you, James. That's it for today, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Porsche Cool Podcast. That's Owner's Stories. James coming in and telling us about his 997.2 Carrera S in white. Uh, beautiful car. If you want to, uh, one thing I forgot to mention, sorry, I forgot. Go to James's Instagram. It's at Carrera underscore in underscore the underscore curves. So it'll be in the description of this podcast. Go over to James's Instagram. Give him a follow. Tell him you heard his story on Owner's Stories. Uh, and that's about it. Until next time, bye for now.